artist should always be at the service of their art. Their art should not be at the service of them. That piece served me, and that was the last time I ever allowed my art to serve me. From that point on, I became the service of my art. This is Before It's Too Late. I'm your host, Christian Suzanne. Let's learn together what matters most in life. In today's episode, my guest is the artist and art teacher, Catherine Cameron. Catherine is talking about what it took for her to pursue an artistic education and career, and what her parents said, and how she managed to make a living before she could live from selling her art. Being a teacher at the New York School of the Arts for 10 years, she's explaining to us what specifically she enjoys about teaching art. Also, Catherine is sharing with us an existential moment that really transformed her and how she created the largest piece of her work so far as a consequence. Ever since, she states, she lived a life true to herself being at the service of her art and not letting the art be at service of her. I was intrigued by this wise insight and also by the amazing energy with which she conveyed her thoughts around what it really means to be an artist. When I asked her about her advice for future artists, she came up with a surprising answer. Here for yourself and also how beautifully she articulates her legacy around her artwork. We are excited to have you as our guest on Before It's Too Late today, Catherine Cameron. Hello, Catherine. Welcome to Before It's Too Late. Hi, good afternoon. How are you? I'm very happy to have you as my guest today, Catherine. Thank you. Oh, yeah. You are a wonderful, seasoned, experienced artist in all regards, and also an art teacher. And I would really like to have a conversation with you around what it means, truly means, to be an artist and about your journey and all these moments that were happening in your wonderful artistic life. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure to be here, and thank you for having me Great. So, Catherine, let's start with where were you born and raised? So, I was born in a beach town called Tom's River in New Jersey and brought up through the age of, of 17 until I went to university in several coastal towns in the area. You might be familiar with Asbury Park, the home of Bruce Springsteen and Bon Jovi. So, uh, a wonderful, a beautiful beachside community with a lot of interesting people in the mix. Oh my God. Wow. I can imagine. I envy you for that. Did that somehow set you up already for your artistic career later on? I would say that the musical influences did. I was surrounded. Um, music has been a large part of my life and, and a love and an interest for me. And we were surrounded by beautiful musical venues and concert venues. And, you know, I've been going to concerts since I was about 10. So I, I would say, yeah, I think that probably also energetically that helped too. There's a lot of really creative and interesting people that were in the area that I, I, I would say made an impact on me for sure. 
Mm, yeah, I can imagine. So you went to College of Visual Arts at Kutztown University in Pennsylvania. Yes. And when in your life, Catherine, did you know you wanted to become an artist? Because that really is a deliberate decision, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. You know, if I think back and say early on in my life, I don't know that I thought I wanted to be an artist, but I, I knew something was different. And I knew that I was experiencing the world around me in a different kind of a way. So, you know, I was always drawing and acting and painting and building. And I also knew energetically, I was kind of drawn to certain places of creation. So, you know, my grandfather was a carpenter and I spent a lot of time hanging out in his workshop with the smell of the dust and around his tools and watching the things that he would build. And I know that that certainly had an influence on me. I was always found myself pulled towards the art buildings and other creative people. So I don't know that I can say as a child, I wanted to be an artist, but I knew that there was something percolating creatively. And I knew that that was the kind of place that I wanted to find myself into. When I was in high school and I went to apply for university, I had said to my parents, I wanted to go to an art school. And my, my hmm. parents' immediate reply was, you know, you're not going to art school. You're going to go to school, get a real job. And unfortunately, that was the battle that was placed in my life at a, at a young age. So kind of a, a general attitude towards art in general. Eventually, they came around, but that's kind of what, what happened when I went to university. So I figured a way that I'd try to get around it was to go to that art school and go as, as a major of undecided, and then I'd just take art classes when I got there. Well, what I had miscalculated about that decision was that the program didn't allow non-art majors into their classes. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> but what I did was I took every single possibly class outside of the major that I could, including photography and aesthetics and music and art history. And so I did that until I found out about their film program which was perfect. So I could still be in this art school, be in this environment, be around the creative people I wanted to be and do something creative and have a major in something creative that interested me. It was wonderful. And I learned a lot, so many things that I got from that program that I have, not, I have taken from there and into what eventually be my career in the fine arts. Wow, what an amazing trip. So you must have had a strong will uh, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> to say the least, yeah. So what did your parents say when they noticed that you had been so consistent with pursuing your artistic career well, and education? Think, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think that at that point there was anything they could do about it. In fairness, I look back and I, I look to my parents and neither one of them had, uh, had the opportunity to go to university. I was the first person in the family to have that opportunity. And they didn't, and often many people don't understand the life of an artist or the choices that we make. And I think often when it becomes unfamiliar to someone, it's something that they don't necessarily want to understand. So I respect them for that. And, and I think in the end, they have a lot of respect for me that I have made my choices and followed my dreams and followed my passion. And whether they understand it, agree with it, or accept it is kind of irrelevant. But as I said, now as time has gone on, they recognize my perseverance had paid off. 
Mm, yeah. And to their respect, I mean, they have had a point with that path you have chosen because it is indeed not easy to make yeah. a living from being an artist. Would you share with us how you managed to make a living from creating and selling your art? Sure, sure. And, you know, I'll start off by saying one of the most important things about being an artist truly an artist, is you can't expect to make money, to make art rather, to make money, because that's a whole different ballgame. We make art because we have to. We make art because we have no choice. And so if you are making artwork to sell, then you're taking away what truly is the reason why we do this, right? So I, I say that first. And then we have this conversation, job versus a passion. You know, a job is what you do to support yourself, right? Your passion is what makes you thrive and live. So what I did was find ways when I wasn't selling my art to work in creative environments where I could make money. And that included many things and advertising, interior design. I renovated, built things for people, consulted for people before I got into teaching this is. So you just find ways. Some people wait tables, some people clean the streets. I mean, you know, if your art is primary in your life and then you find other ways to make money to support it until you're able to support on your own. So fortunately for me, I have some nice collectors and people who have enjoyed my art, but I don't make it for the sole reason of making money or else it really wouldn't be authentic. Mm, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your work. Yeah. You explore the fragility of the mind, body and spirit through the use of a variety of materials. Paper, canvas, and pure pigments are the sources for an organized world of poetry and sound. That's a wonderful sentence I have from <laughs> your website. <laughs> and I'm really curious to explore the meaning behind that. It also sounds like you had a transformational moment in your life to come to these statements? I do, and, and I'd be happy to tell you about it. First, we'll start with, so what my work is exploring is this, as you say, the fragility of the mind and the body and the spirit, and all of those feelings and topics and themes that can go along with it. I explore things like solitude. I explore the idea of silence, absence and presence. And I do this through the expression of emotion through using natural elements like paper and clay and pure pigment, things that come from the earth in an effort to connect, make a connection between man and nature. So, you know, a lot of my paintings are field paintings where like, I try to create a feeling of, say, getting lost in an open field, emphasizing architectural elements like edges and margins, again, with the idea that I would like to make this connection between man and nature. Color is extremely important in my work, and I explore its impact symbolically, psychologically, and spiritually. So, you know, most colors have, you know, red, for instance, I do a lot of paintings in, in red, and which is the symbol of passion, love, anger, love, all this form of expression that in different cultures can mean different things. I tried very much to go back to the beginning. A lot of my study and my interest 
an emphasis has been going right back to the beginning to the cave paintings where ancient people used these pigments and used them symbolically as symbols of life. Like the, the ochre for the ancient people was a symbol of blood, uh, deep red menstrual blood, basically symbolizing the importance of the creation of life and fertility. So I have a, a strict methodology about the way that I work, and then that lends itself into the poetry side of, of the work. Most everything I do has an intention behind it. I start with a ground, a base layer of a color, which is a combination of an ultramarine blue and a burnt umber. And the umber is an earth pigment, which signifies and embodies the land itself. The ultramarine is the first known artificial color that we have. And then that symbolizes the man and the artificial nature of something that is not handmade. So together, they create this beautiful hue of blue that I use on the basis of my paintings. From there, whatever color it is that I'm choosing to use for whatever reason I am, is that base color is mixed into it to create the layers and the tones. So that is symbolic of this combination of the earth and man and all its beautiful uh, variations that can be achieved. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Sounds amazing, Catherine. Sounds amazing. What you were describing really is like, seems to me on an energetic level, like a constant transformation, right? Absolutely. Um, And reconnection to your source and the source of humanity. So tell us a little bit about maybe one transformational moment you can remember that really Mm. changed you or even changed your work as a consequence. Yes, I have a, a significant transformative moment in my life. This is not something that I share very often, but it will lend itself to what was probably one of the biggest transformational moments in my life. I have a daughter, and when she was a young girl, she was diagnosed with cancer, stage four cancer, and was very sick. And I, aside from, you know, recognizing the incredible strength that she had and the strength that I had, brought me to a very serious moment of contemplation about life and death, as you can imagine. So it was at that point that I had been working for a long time and I had been researching various topics about what I wanted to explore and express through my work. But this was the first time where I was confronted with this concept of death and this concept of how temporary our existence really is. So during this time, just shortly after that she recovered, this became... Mm -hmm a central part of my work and research. And I was creating a piece for the National Academy Museum. We had an exhibition there. And I didn't know it at the time, what was happening. But I started to create this piece that turned out ultimately to be the largest piece that I've ever made. And the piece was called Temporal Existence. And it was my investigation into the ephemeral nature of things. And I got in and it took me about five or six months to make this peace. And during this time, everything changed. My physical being changed. My mental state of living changed. My spirituality changed. And I recognized that I had not been living my authentic life and had not been living 
my authentic self. And during this period of time, as I started to evaluate friendships, loves, life situations, physicality of the body, mental, our memory, everything changed. Memory fades. Our perceptions are altered. Our bodies sag. Our loves die. All of these things happen. And as I started to understand that and recognize that I was able to free myself, free myself from living the life that I wasn't supposed to be living and freeing myself to live the life that I I should be. So I've always had this saying, someone told it to me and, and I've always kept it to myself. And I finally only realized it during that time. He said, an artist should always be at the service of their art. Their art should not be at the service of them. It's really important. Hmm. That piece served me. And that was the last time I ever allowed my art to serve me. From that point on, I became the service of my art. Wow. That is so powerful and deep, Catherine, what you are sharing with us here. Thank you so much. You're welcome. That's very, very powerful. So after we heard that, what gives you the greatest satisfaction at this point in life? Ah, well, certainly 1000% the greatest satisfaction that I have is being able to go into my studio and work. Being an artist is a privilege and a gift that is given to the lucky ones, right? I can spend my day in my studio exploring and learning, finding truths, finding lies, you know, finding mm. anything that I think that is interesting about being a human being. So I continue to learn something new every day. I continue to ask questions every day. I continue to find the answers every day. It allows me to be curious, to establish rituals, and to question and investigate on a daily basis. So this satisfaction that probably that I'll never know it all, that I'll never be able to the day that I die, never be able to stop on this journey, and that I have been blessed with this in my life, And that I can live my life in this way is truly a gift. Wow. Sounds 100% in alignment um, with yourself. Amazing. The other thing yeah. I just want to add, so that's the process from my side, you know, and the satisfaction that I get. The satisfaction with regard to my work is can often come in the reaction to the work. And it's not I like or I don't like because that's subjective. You can like the work or you're not going to like the work. That's okay. But if someone can look at one of my paintings and see something, see something about themselves, find something about themselves. You know, I had a, a wonderful experience. I have a friend who has a daughter who has a selective mutism and she has a very difficult time communicating. And I had been working on a series And this particular series was, was called The Surface and It's Solitude. And my friend had taken the work and shown her daughter because she likes to show her artwork and to stimulate her from an emotional perspective. And she didn't know the title of the work. And she looked at the work and said, Mom, that painting's me. It was beautiful that, that this young girl could look at that painting and find something 
find herself in it. And to me, that's what we're doing here. We're connecting each other as human beings and we're, I don't know, letting us know we're all okay. So that to me, um, in addition to what it gives me is what my art can give to other people. Yeah, yeah. Here you can see once again what art can do, really. Since about 10 years, I think, you are also a teacher at the New York School of the Arts. Is that correct? Yes, correct. Yeah, correct. So this is also how we met, because you yes. are my teacher. <laughs> And I love to be your student, Catherine. Thank um, you. Thank you. Really, what do you enjoy when teaching art? Well, there's a, quite a lot I enjoy about teaching. First and foremost... It is amazing to help someone to see the value in their own personal artistic journeys because it's a journey and it takes a lot of time and dedication and desire to make works of art. So if I can help someone to look inward, to discover something that they didn't know, to discover something, think something about themselves and understand something about themselves that they hadn't encountered before, it absolutely delights me. I see the excitement when someone discovers a new material or if they come upon a new topic or encounter a different theme. I see the tentative sometimes about being a little bit afraid to go deeper and then they do and a whole new world opens up to them. So it's kind of like that moment of enlightenment absolutely delights me. I love to do that. Also, I've been very, very fortunate in my life. I've had a lot of people teach me. I've had a lot of people open my eyes to see the world in a different way and, and show me how the world of possibilities. And I feel that I have an absolute responsibility to impart that knowledge into others as well. People have been generous with me and I, in turn would like to be generous with whomever, whoever I can. So I enjoy that. And then I guess probably the last thing that probably hmm, delights me as much is I like the community that we build together. You know, we have, um, I have wonderful classes. I've been very fortunate where I've had some really interesting, uh, this is the benefit of this school because it's not kids coming into art schools, people who have had other careers and other lives. And so we bring together this whole amazing community of people who have come from all different walks of life, who bring into the studio their unique backgrounds, their experiences, different other careers, different ways of looking at things. And we all come together for this common ground of making art. And that's where I feel like the magic happens. I feel that People walk into the classroom and I do try to foster a community. I try to foster an area of uh, a place to be safe and a place to take risks and a place to have some fun while we're doing it. Those kinds of things kind of really bring a lot to me. And, and I will tell you, as much as students may learn from me, I learn from them every day on a daily basis. Mm, I definitely can confirm all that you said <laughs> from my side, being part of that wonderful community. So what's your advice, Catherine, to those who 
want to become an artist, no matter at what stage in their lives and not no matter what other careers they had pursued before? First, then this is probably not what anyone would expect me to say, but knowing some art history, you know, art from what our past holds clues to the life in the past, but it also helps us to, to look forward. So studying about who came before us is really important because, you know, art is about depicting our lives as, as we live in it. And, you know, nothing is new in art, you know, it's all, Mm. we're not living. The avant-garde is over. It's a lot of things have been done, right? Yes. We can't introduce a new material because they're there. We can't introduce a, a different way of painting. Abstraction has been created. It's all been done. But what we can do is take the conversation where it left off and keep the conversation going. We can contribute to the debate by carrying on what came before us. So knowing and having some um information about what happened before us. It's like looking at what has been done before, then we can contribute to how we speak and feel about the world around us. So yes, I would say and that's, then, that's... Yeah, and then take please. the conversation to the next level. That's what we can do, Abs- right? Absolutely correct. And we can't take the conversation to the next level unless we know what came before. So oh. I think that's something mm-hmm. that I think is really powerful and and really important. It requires time, it requires dedication, it requires research, but it is so incredibly important, I think, for all of us to be able to contribute to this uh, intellectual debate, if you will. The others is to be curious and ask questions. Ask questions of yourself, ask questions of others. You know, it's all about the unknown and what, ask questions about life, about being human, about emotion, but ask those questions and answer them. <laughs> Find ways to answer them. And, and then those questions and answers can then be incorporated into your work in a meaningful way. The biggest problem we run into now with art is everyone really is, is so concerned about producing and selling work. You know, so most people immediately want to know, how do I get into a gallery? <laughs> how do I get a collector? How do I show my work? And I think Obviously, people need to make a living and and want to show their work, and I get all of that. But the dedication of your time should be to your artistic practice and looking around, looking at the world that we're living in and how we fit into it. So my second biggest piece of advice is dedicate, dedicate, dedicate yourself to your artistic practice in any way that you can. Because ultimately... As I said before, you know, you, you have a responsibility to your work, right? And mm. it takes, you do, if, you, if it's taken seriously, and that takes sacrifice, it takes dedication, it takes solitude, it takes contemplation, sometimes a little pain, sometimes a little torture, you know, and, and it's frustration. If you dedicate yourself wholly to your work, it's up to destiny as to where you find your work, where you find your work will find its place. Most important is, is to, to do it. You know, if you're an artist, live your life as an artist because actually there is no other path. You don't have a choice. Oh, I love that. That is such a wise and great and comprehensive advice, Catherine. Thank you so much. For sure, this will be helpful for everybody who really pursues that kind of career. Last but not least, here's the question I'm asking 
each of my guests before it's too late. <laughs> mm -hmm, <right>. what, <laughs> what is the legacy you want to leave behind other than money, Catherine? Well, I think I would like to leave a legacy that I was kind, generous to others, and that maybe in some way I was helpful in nurturing their souls while they had spent their time here on earth. I've been very fortunate to um, have many wonderful people in my life who've been so generous for sharing their knowledge. And, you know, as I said to you before, I want to leave a legacy that I helped to, to do the same, I suppose. I have a daughter. I'd love to be able to impart some of this way of living and thinking uh, to her and for her and in hopes that she may live her life fully in this way. And I guess in terms of I'd like to leave a trace of my existence through my work, you know, hoping that I can propel this energy and feeling of lightness and color and kindness into the private eye of the viewer. I guess maybe evoking some kind of feeling and helping them to encounter themselves, I suppose. I think it would be nice if, in final words, she helped me to see. Ah, that's so beautiful, Catherine. Is there anything uh, you would like to add? I will just add that I, and I think I said it earlier, I'm very privileged to be able to live my life this way. And I really hope that others, if this was their calling, will have the chance to do it too. Thank you so much for having been my guest today on Before It's Too Late. Thank you for having me, it was my pleasure. I really enjoyed this profound conversation and I hope you did too. For more episodes of Before It's Too Late, make sure to subscribe. If this episode spoke to you, consider sharing it with a friend or loved one you think might benefit from it. Thank you for listening.